All right, good evening, and welcome to a special edition of Nowhere to Run. Today, uh, we've got as a guest Patrick Heron, and Patrick is joining us from Ireland. Patrick is a best selling author and a TV producer. His book, The Nephilim and the Pyramid of the Apocalypse, was number one on Amazon.com in the prophecy section for a year and a half, and has since done remarkably well, remarkably well being picked up by a major publisher here in the United States and elsewhere. You can get his book, The Nephilim and the Pyramid of the Apocalypse, or his new DVD, they just made a DVD out of a television show, two DVDs in fact, uh, at Amazon.com or at his website, NephilimApocalypse.com. So let me introduce from Ireland, Patrick Heron. Patrick, how's everything today? I'm very well, Chris, and uh, lovely to speak with you. You too, you too. Um, how are things in Ireland today? How's it looking over there? Well, it's extremely lush and <laughs> green and verdant, uh, and everything is blooming at the moment. We've had about three incredible weeks of sunshine, uh, which is very unusual weather for this time of the year, but I guess that's the way it is all over the world with weird weather. We've got a little bit of rain today and yesterday, but we badly needed it because it was it was getting quite dry. So, uh, May, you know, April and May is the nicest time in Ireland because everything is blooming and green and luscious, and uh, everything is looking pretty good. Hey, that makes me want to jump on a plane and get over there. Hey, come on, I'll <laughs> buy a few pints of the black stuff. Right. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm from Tennessee, and I guess uh, we have a, a whiskey uh, connection. You guys make some good whiskey, and uh, and so do we there. Uh, anyway, absolutely. Uh, are you living in Ten- are, are you in Tennessee as I speak to you? Yeah, sure am. Oh, what part? Uh, n- uh, Nashville, just outside of Nashville. Oh, Nashville, Tennessee. That's the one. All right. Uh, well, I know you have something of a system for for summarizing your your theory from the book, The Nephilim and the Pyramid of the Apocalypse. So I'll let you do what you do, and, and we'll get that out there for for the people that may have not heard what you what you uh, what you've got to say. So take it away, I guess. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little brief introduction of, as to who the Nephilim are, and uh, the Nephilim are first mentioned in Genesis chapter six, verse four, where it says there were Nephilim in the earth in those days, and also after that. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. And it says, these became the mighty men which were of old. In another version it says, these were the heroes of old, the men of renown and the heroes of old. So who were these heroes of old and men of renown? Well, if you go back to uh, Greek and Roman mythology, it talks about the gods of yore. Mars, Mercury, Zeus, Apollo, Neptune, Poseidon. And we had female gods at that time too. For instance, Hera, Demeter, Athena, and of course Athens is named after the goddess Athena. And there was a temple in Ephesus with a huge gold statue of Athena. It was one of the uh, seven wonders of the world at one time. And these gods were told in Greek and Roman mythology. It says these gods came down from heaven. Uh, They took human women to wife who had children for, for them. They lived in Mount Olympus and Delphi. Uh, Zeus came down, for instance, he took uh, alchemy into wife. She almost died giving birth to Hercules. And this is what this Greek and Roman mythology talks about. Well, the Nephilim fits in with this like a hand in a glove because the, the Hebrew word Nephilim comes from the Hebrew nafal, meaning to fall. And these are the fallen ones, what you and I would call fallen angels. And we're told in Genesis that the sons of God came to earth and these are the fallen angels, the fallen sons of God, created spirit beings, uh, came to earth in Genesis 6, had ordinary human women to wife, took them to wife, and they had offspring by them. But these were no ordinary offspring. 
because they were giants in size and also giants of evil and violence and bloodshed. And according to my studies, these gods, these sons of God, our fallen angels, were knocking around for up to a thousand years, which precipitated the flood of Noah. And of course, the flood of Noah is also mentioned in other uh, legends as the Epic of Gilgamesh and, and such like, where there's a worldwide deluge and many, many traditions all around the world. So these Nephilim are what you and I would call fallen angels, but I don't like the word angel, Chris, because as soon as I mention the word angel, everybody thinks of a little naked cherubim with no genitalia and a bow and arrow, perhaps trying to shoot somebody in the heart and make them fall in love. Or they think perhaps of some guy with long blonde hair and a spotlight behind them and giant wings. But when you go and study the appearance of angels, in fact, a better word than angel would be messenger or sent one. And when you go and study the appearance of these guys throughout the whole of the scriptures, everywhere they appear, they appear as men. They're described as men. They look like men. They've been mistaken as men. Uh, they wear clothes. They eat. They drink. And apparently a band of these rebellious angels, this would be part of the guys that rebelled with Lucifer and tried to usurp the throne of God in a military coup way back when. Uh, they were unsuccessful in this, but a band of these guys, of these evil fallen angels, fell to earth, 200 according to the Book of Enoch, had sex with women and infected and affected the whole of the bloodline of the human race at that time, over a thousand year period, to such a degree that it says in Genesis 6, there was only evil in man's heart all the time. And they were into all sorts of evil and bloodshed and violence. They were into, you know, these gods and their offspring they, they destroyed the works of man they consumed the goods of man they got into blood sacrifices um, vampirism drinking blood matricide, patricide, patricide sex drugs, rock and roll you name it, they were at it and of course the, the, this would fit in with the Greek and, and Roman uh, and Egyptian mythologies as well when you get in and study them and see what these guys get up to but as I say, they were, the Nephilim are fallen spirit men, fallen angels, but they're men. And this is why it says three times in Genesis, let us make man in our image, in the image of God made he man. Because we look like them, they look, look like us. The only difference is you and I are flesh and blood. These guys are spirit, spirit men. We do not know what spirit is because nobody has been able to take it into a laboratory and put a Bunsen burner under it and dissect it and analyze it and find out what it is. But they are not constrained by the ordinary laws of physics, as you and I are. So they can disappear between here and Tennessee in the blink of an eye, or here in this place called heaven in the blink of an eye, because they're spirit men. So these guys infected the whole of the world, the human race at that time, with their, with their evil and their violence and bloodshed. So God said he'd had enough of this and he sent the flood and he drowned all the human beings at that time and he drowned the offspring of these Nephilim, which were the giants. But you can't drown spirit men. So we're told in scripture that these spirit men that caused the, the sin in the days of Noah are locked, locked up in a subterranean prison, which is called in scripture, it's called the bottomless pit, it's called the deep, it's called the abyss. And once in the New Testament, interestingly, it's called Tartarus. And of course, Tartarus, this again ties in with the Tartarus of Greek and Roman mythology, where we're told that the gods are imprisoned because they rebelled against Zeus. And it ties in with the netherworld, or the abode of the dead, or the underworld of Egyptian mythology, in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, where again we're told that the gods are imprisoned, and Hades is the keeper of the underworld, and you've got to rip across the river Styx 
to get to the the the, the, the nether world, etc., etc. So, the biblical accounts fit in like a hand on a glove with the uh, legends, traditions, histories of Greek, Roman, and Egyptian mythology. And just to, to finish up on this point, that any historian will tell you that. Many of the Greeks and legends have their genesis and basis in truth and in fact. It's just that the stories have been distorted somewhat as they come down through the generations. So that's briefly who the Nephilim are. And, and my book, uh, which is called The Nephilim, or Nephilim and the Pyramid of the Apocalypse, the first half of the book is uh, an in-depth thesis on who these Nephilim are, these fallen angels. There's quite a bit of information buried about these guys in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, but nobody has really, well, very few people have dug it up before. And I've sort of dug it up, put it together with the uh, Greek and Roman and Egyptian mythologies to ex show exactly who these guys were, where they came from, where they got their incredible powers, their mathematical knowledge, their astronomical knowledge, uh, where they went, and also their role in their future because these guys are coming back. Right, and uh, and I, the book is great. You do lay it out very well. Uh, it is a good. Is a, it's a great book. Um, speaking of the 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 prophecies in Daniel two, uh, the miry clay speaks of in the seeds uh, not cleaving to one another. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, well, that's the thing that has been exercising me these last few months, um, Chris, where it talks about the Nephilim coming back in the future, and. Uh, if some of your listeners might recall the um, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, uh, where he, he had this dream about a statue, and this statue, um, nobody could understand or interpret the, uh, the dream for him, and he threatened all his soothsayers and the guys that uh, worked in his palace, his prognosticators, his magicians, his you know, crystal ball gazers, etc., etc. He said, first of all, I tell you, want you to tell me what the dream is. Then I want to tell you, I want you to tell me what it means. And I'm not going to tell you what the dream means. And if you can't tell me, I'm going to chop your heads off. Of course, the guys went crazy because they said, oh, there's no way we can do this. But Daniel stepped in and he said, look at, he said, God can interpret dreams. So I'm going to do it for you. And he had this dream and, and Daniel came in and interpreted the dream for him. He, he said that he saw a great statue the head and the shoulders were made out of gold and he said that is your empire Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian empire he said the next one was made out of bronze and that's going to be the, the next empire to come very soon which in turn I think was the Medo-Persian empire which took over from Nebuchadnezzar then the next one he talked about was the uh, the the hips and around that area of uh, iron and this was the Roman empire and then he spoke about a fourth empire which was to come in the future and it had feet made out of clay and iron and it specifically talks about the, the toes ten toes were, which were made out made out of both iron and clay and, and it says here in Daniel chapter 2 in the fourth kingdom and this is the one that is to come in this apocalypse period it hasn't happened yet and it's going to come when these Nephilim come back it says and the fourth kingdom should be strong as iron for as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things and as iron that breaks all these things shall it break in pieces and bruise and whereas thou sawest feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the miry clay. And this is the uh, this is the um, clinger that jumps out here now, the cruncher, it says, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed 
with clay. So when it says they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, it's talking about the Nephilim, the return of the Nephilim coming back and not being able to mingle with men because iron doesn't mix with clay. And when it talks about the miry clay, it's talking about us. It's talking about humankind. Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. That's why it refers to us as clay. And when it refers to these guys as iron, that's showing the difference in the power and the supernatural strength and ability that these sophisticated gods possess. And it says they can trample and break in peace and subdue all things, but they shan't cleave together. And it's interesting, Chris, that it says that this is going to be ten toes made up of, of both human beings and these Nephilim, these fallen spirit men. And I believe the future government that's going to rule the world under the power of this other leader called the Antichrist, and he's going to have a right-hand sidekick called the False Prophet, who's going to be the religious leader, and I believe this is going to be like a, a, a G10. At the moment, we have a G8 of the richest, wealthiest, most powerful nations in the world. Well, this is going to be a G10, a geopolitical groupings of 10 geopolitical economic groupings under the power and leadership of this guy called the Antichrist, which means in the stead of Christ, this future political leader that is going to come in the future and going to rule the whole world. And this is going to be a one-world government. And... If you look around, even if you're not spiritually minded or you don't know anything about scripture, and you look at the things that are happening in the world today, you will see that that is the way it's heading. And I think that's why the borders are breaking down between, for instance, Canada and Mexico and the United States, and why uh, they're trying to set up this, you know, South American, North American Free Trade Association. You, you go over and look at Europe, where I am. They're all getting into a big club over here. There's 22 or 24 countries or something now in the EU, and they've gone way beyond an economic union now. They want to pass a, a, a Bill of Rights, and they want to have a constitution, and they want to have an army, and they want, you know, we're being governed. The 70% of the laws we get now are coming straight out of Brussels. So the elite, you know, the, the, the powerful people, the moneyed people, the, the ones with the money, the Zionists or whoever these are the Illuminati or the Bildenburgers or Trilateral Commission or the, the Masons or whoever these crowds are, these secret societies are, that's what they're pushing towards and whether they're doing it wittingly or unwittingly, I'm not sure. I'm sure maybe at the very higher inner sanctums of these meetings, these guys are dealing with fallen angels and Lucifer or Satan or the devil is the top man in this and they're setting up now the structures for this one world government which is going to pertain in the seven year apocalypse period when the Nephilim come to earth and when the uh, Antichrist makes his, uh, his, his show on earth and comes to being and that may not be in the far too distant future I believe Chris well, uh, I agree too. Uh, one one point on that that I, I may have a slight disagreement, but I don't think it's really that that much. But um, it seems it seems we'll need a big deception in order for this one world religion. Not, maybe not the one world government, the infrastructure, as as you said, that's kind of already going along without any uh, great change of of, of spiritual spirituality, which I I think you and I both see as some sort of you know the Nephilim showing up in in whatever UFO skin or whatever the way they do, and you see. The iron mixed with clay in Daniel two as um, as kind of co-ruling the G ten would be like half 
Nephilim aliens or whatever, half humans, when I kind of take more of the view, which I know that you probably have heard from all the UFO con- conferences and so forth that you spoke at, um, of maybe the rulers of this G10 will, in effect, be hybrids themselves. Um, maybe the, 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 the last empire themselves will be hybrids as opposed to the Confederacy itself being a hybrid. Do you have a particular view on, on that? Well, it seems to uh, infer in the verses that I read out there that they won't cleave one to another. It seems to be talking about two different entities. Iron on one hand, clay on the other. And as I said, dust to work and unto dust shall they return. I think that's referring to human beings and that the iron is referring to these guys literally coming again. Now, I don't know if the hybrids are, are going to do it because they'd have to they'd have to raise up these hybrids already. But may, maybe that's the way it's working at the moment in these uh, elite inner sanctums of these secret meetings. Maybe these guys are already in contact with people and instructing them and telling them what to do and and uh, pulling the strings and may, perhaps the governments and the, the guys who are heads of our governments all over the world maybe they don't even know who they're dealing with maybe they do I don't know that's why I said I don't know whether they're doing it wittingly or, or unwittingly but I from what I could read in uh, Daniel there it appears to me that it's two different things mm-hmm. that they won't cleave together it's got, the governments are going to be run by the humans and by the Nephilim. Under, and in fact, it, it names, if you get in and, and read out, and this is something I've got to study more this summer and get my head back into reading Revelation, it talks about so many kings on the earth. It talks about the, the beast with ten horns, and, and they are kings which have not yet received the kingdom. That's what it says. And these are literal. Well, you know, when it talks about, for instance, who is the king of this world or who is the prince of this world, He's, the prince of this world is referred to, in scripture as Satan, the devil, the prince of darkness. He's also referred referred to as the king of this world. Then in another place in Corinthians 4, where it talks about the um, the mystery, it talks about if the princes of this world had known about the mystery, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, who are the princes of this world? Mm-hmm. It has to be Satan and his top henchmen, his comrades. And when it talks about the beast with ten heads, and then it goes on to describe the, you know, the, the little horn and eight horns were subject to him and five have fallen, one is and one is to come. They're talking about these literal Nephilim, these literal men. Just as it was literal gods who appeared on the earth three and a half thousand BC. And just as, as I've identified in my book uh, in Revelation chapter 9 where it talks about when the Nephilim are released again, uh, onto the earth, earth to wreak havoc on the earth. I have it here in front of me in Revelation 9 and 11. It says, And they had a king over them. Here's another one of the kings, by the way, who was the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, and his name in the Greek tongue is Apollyon. And as I point out, Apollyon is nothing more than how the Greeks spell what we would call Apollo. And Apollo, as you know, was one of the main leaders of the original pantheon of Greek gods, along with Mercury, Pluto, Zeus. Orion, uh, Poseidon, etc., etc., etc. These were literal guys who appeared on the earth. They were probably beautiful-looking, full of wisdom, fascination, power, irresistible to a woman, and they were literal gods. And I think that these guys are going to appear on the on the earth again, literally, and manifest themselves. And Apollo is going to be the the leader of these guys because he's known as the beast from the abyss the beast from the abyss is the guy that goes on to be, to be become what we call the antichrist and in fact it says in another in revelation 17 speaking about this guy he says the beast which you saw once was 
now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. And that's Apollo. And the inhabitants of the world, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will, will be astonished when they see the beast, and it repeats this phrase, who once was, now is not, and yet will come again. Well, what does that mean? The beast who, who you saw once was. That's because he once was on the earth and roamed with all the rest of his mates, Mercury, Pluto, etc., etc., for a thousand years prior to the flood of Noah. Now is not because these guys are locked up or incarcerated in this bottomless pit, which is also called Tartarus, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. He's going to come up out of this pit, this literal abyss, which is under our feet somewhere, and go to his destruction as the Antichrist. That doesn't mean that he gets destroyed. It means that he goes and destroys the whole world. Right. Because by the end of, the, of the, the seven years of the apocalypse, we're giving the figures in there, about three billion people will die. And about the same time that he becomes manifest, Chris, I believe the rest of the guys are going to become manifest too. Because it says in Revelation chapter 12, it says, and this is future, I believe, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So this says that there's war in heaven. This is a future war. And it says, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought his an and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. Now, contrary to about what 99% of preachers say, I don't believe the devil and his angels were kicked out of heaven way, way back in the, in the, in the past. Because we're told in, in the next verse, it says, For the accuser, accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. So, according to this... The accuser, otherwise known as the serpent or the dragon or the devil, appears before God day and night accusing the brethren. He's saying, look at that Paddy Heron guy down there. He had five pints of Guinness last night and got half drunk and went home and had a row with his wife and kicked the cat, you know, and slammed the door. He's a bad boy, that Paddy Heron guy. He's day and night accusing the brethren. But at this future time, there's going to be a war in heaven, not a battle, a war. These guys are kicked out and are cast down to the earth. It says he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And in another interesting phrase in Revelation, it says that the stars fall to earth like figs fallen, falling from a fig tree, shaken by a mighty wind. Now, when it says the stars are falling to earth, it's not talking about twinkle, twinkle, little star. Those little bright things you, you see out at night time, because they don't fall to the earth. The stars is a metaphor or a figure of speech for these fallen angels for the the evil angels in where it refers to them often as the host of heaven or in revelation 9 1 it says and a star fell to earth with the key to the bottomless pit and opened the bottomless pit so these guys sorry i'll just finish this these guys it says the mind picture it gives us is of these angels falling to the earth like figs falling from a fig tree shaken by a mighty wind and i believe when they are kicked out of the spiritual plane that they now inhabit, they become manifested somehow in the material which is on the earth. So about the same time as Apollo and his guys are released onto the earth, the dragon, Satan, and the rest of these fallen angels are going to appear on the earth. Maybe they're going to come back as aliens or extraterrestrials. Maybe they're going to say, we are the Anunnaki. You know, Planet X, Nibiru is due to come around about now. <laughs> right. Maybe they're going to say, we were here 
thousands of years ago and planted the seed of mankind. Maybe they're going to say, hey, we got rid of all those Bible tumbles and those born-again nut jobs, got rid of them, and now we're going to take humankind and the human race to the next level of evolution. We're going to establish peace and harmony and goodwill towards men on earth. We're going to get rid of famines. We're going to get rid of sicknesses. We're going to get rid of wars. Because we're told that the first three and a half years of the apocalypse, people will reign. It's going to be a great time. It'll be sex, drugs, rock and roll, where these guys rule on earth under the power of this beautiful-looking man who's Apollo, who in Greek mythology and Roman mythology was the epitome of the beauty of man, of eloquence, of music, of, of medicine, of prophecy. He had his oracle at Delphi near Corinth. You can go and see it to this day. And maybe that's who these guys are going to pass themselves off as, Chris. Right. Uh, speaking of Apollo, now there's an interesting uh, Mideast connection with the Imam there I heard uh, uh, on an interview you did earlier. I was wondering if you could expand on that, if you got anything on that, and then get into the pyramid and how it's uh, the witness and the pyramid of the apocalypse. and, and why. Yeah, a little mean. bit about the Yaman, the Yaman and, uh, and, and the, uh, the Mahdi and these guys. Very interesting. By the way, just before I get to this, let me, let me finish off on something that... Uh, we should, we, maybe we can touch on it later if you remind me. But I got an email from this guy uh, last year, an a, a Australian young guy, I believe he was. And he told me that he, he was in New Zealand. And when he was in New Zealand, he had this dream, which he believes was a vision from God, right? This is a Christian guy. And after he had this vision, he went on to his, uh, his, um, in, uh, the Internet and he researched the Nephilim. He found my book on there. He bought it. He read it. And after he read it, he wrote to me. And he told me about this vision. I'll read it to you. It's quite short. It, and I quote, In the dream, I was standing on the top of a mountain. I looked up into the sky and saw hundreds of floating, flying pyramids. I felt very real dread and fear. I pointed to the sky, sky and said, The Nephilim are here. Some of them are so close, they were huge. Imagine the great pyramids suspended in the air. I have normal dreams, but I know this was divine. It was so real that when I awoke, I was very much shaken. Now, I exchanged a few emails with this guy, a lovely guy, and he tells me it was absolutely a vision. Funnily enough, I've read two, I got another email from another guy in Texas last year who told me the same thing. This is just an ordinary fellow. He's in a security job. He has a wife and a couple of kids. He's no big preacher or anything like that. He said in the mid-90s, some preacher prayed for him. He said he found the spirit came over him in waves. He told me he had about 30 visions about the future and things. And he said in three of them, he saw pyramids coming down onto the earth and the Nephilim came out of them and he said they looked like zombies and they were bringing people in and out and they looked like zombies that's what he said it was a bit more to it than that then I found on the internet another uh, vision that a guy had and this was way back in the 80s I think and in it he said the same thing that these pyramids came down to earth that the Nephilim came out of them that they were hunting down ordinary people now I don't know that, that if this is how these guys are going to come I'm not saying for sure it is but you know in, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given and they spoke in tongues and they converted 3,000 people that day Peter got up and he had this big speech and he said this is like that which was spoken of the prophet Joel and he quoted the prophet Joel from the Old Testament and he said in the last days your young men shall see visions and your old men shall prophesy words to that effect so Maybe these were divine things, and maybe when these Nephilim fall to earth, they're going to come down in pyramids and say, look, we are fulfilling the prophecies that are written in the Bible about the pyramids, because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the pyramids um, in a minute. And uh, as you know, Chris, and as many people who study the scriptures know, the devil always copies or imitates 
or apes what the true God does. So, you know, because of Isaiah 19:19, which we can talk about in a few minutes, and the, 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 what I call the Pyramid of the Apocalypse, the New Jerusalem, you know, they, these guys know that these things are in there. They can point, the devil can quote scripture better than you and I can. They, they may just come down and use these things to deceive almost everybody in the whole world as to, that they are actually the gods coming back. And that this Antichrist, anti means in the stead of, it doesn't mean against, that he's going to present himself as Jesus Christ. So maybe I should talk about the Mahdi and the Yemen for a moment. Okay. And uh, I lead up. Sorry, I'm not. Let, you're hardly getting a word in. No, it's here. great. That's what I, I was hoping just to kind of coax you along there. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. You heard about kissing the Blarney Stone, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know we're Irish. Like we like to talk, you know, because the weather's always been so bad over here, uh, Chris, for for hundreds of years that they spend most of their time cooped up in little pubs, drinking pints of black porter, you know, and they have to make talk, you know. So that's why we get good at it. <laughs> Somebody told me once I never met an Irishman yet that didn't have an opinion. <laughs> but anyway, okay, yeah, I, this was an interesting thing about I. I was reading about the Mahdi or the twelfth Imam, and in um, or would a Muslim or Islam in their eschatology, which is their prophecies about the end times, according to the Quran and the other biblical or scriptural writings that they have that they believe are divine, are from Muhammad, etc., etc. They believe that in the last days, that this guy is going to appear on the earth called the twelfth Imam or the Mahdi same guy and this guy is going to establish Islam as the dominant world religion and it is going to do this by a series of apocalyptic battles where he will defeat the enemies of Islam and introduce Islam as the the dominant world religion they believe this Mahdi or 12th Imam will, will have a right hand man, a lieutenant and they say that this lieutenant is going to be none other than who? Jesus Christ which I think is very interesting. Furthermore, they believe that, and they say that this imam, and by the way, this is on official Iranian websites, and this is widely believed by all, all the Muslims today, uh, the fundamentalist Muslims. Well, I don't know if there's any other type there are. And they believe <laughs> that this Mahdi, or 12th imam, as a young boy, somewhere hundreds of years ago, that he disappeared and hid in a well, and that he's going to come out of this well, to become the Mahdi, a 12th Imam, and he's going to lead Islam to this series of, of victorious apocalyptic battles with Jesus Christ as his right-hand man. Now, I thought this was very interesting because in the, in the book of Revelation and in the word of truth and in the prophecies of the, of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, which is what the revelation is, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not St. John the Divine's revelation. He just wrote down what he was told to write. But in the prophecies of the apocalypse, we're told that these two guys are going to arrive. One is going to be what's called the Antichrist, in the stead of Christ, and the other guy is going to be what's known as the false prophet. And it says these two will deceive almost the whole world with their lying signs and wonders. Even we're told that this Antichrist is going to receive a deadly head wound and he's going to be killed. And he's going to be raised from the dead by the power of the, the dragon, we're told. This is your counterfeit resurrection. He's going to be killed and rise from the dead again in the eyes of the whole world. This false prophet uh, is going to deceive the whole world. He's going to be like the religious leader, the religious wing. And it says he's going to deceive the world with lying signs and wonders. And I thought this was an interesting parallel because, as I say, the, the, the religious 
people, the Orthodox Jews today, they're also expecting the real Messiah to show up very soon because they don't believe that the guy that was here 2,000 years ago was the real deal. So they're expecting the real Messiah to appear on one hand. Then we have the Muslims expecting the 12th Imam or the Mahdi appear. And here we're told in Scripture that two men are going to arrive on the world scene, on the world political and religious scene. One is going to be the, the false Messiah in the stead of Christ. He's going to be very acceptable to the Jews and probably very acceptable to the majority of, quote, Christendom, end of quote, who will be on the earth at that time, of which I probably was a former one. You know, I was a Roman Catholic before I became a Christian. And to be honest with you, the Catholics in this country and most of the world, I haven't a clue about Jesus Christ or the prophecies or the word of God or anything else because we were never taught it. Huh. So this guy is going to arrive in the stead of Christ. He'll be acceptable to the Jews and they're going to accept him as the, the true Messiah. He'll be acceptable to the whole of Christendom probably at that time. And perhaps his right-hand man, his religious leader, is going to appear as the Mahdi and he will be accepted to the to billion to the billion Muslims or so, and thus they will be able to establish peace between the Muslims and the Jews, because it says there's going to be a pseudo-peace between the Arabs and the Jews, and that this Antichrist is going to establish this, and it's going to last about three and a half years. All hell will break loose after that. This is Revere Radio Network, Tampa. But looking at the world stage at the moment, Chris, it's obviously set up for some one or two men to walk in there and to establish peace and say this is the way it's going to be. So the thing is lined up. It's set up for these guys to walk in there. So maybe maybe we're not far away from that day. I don't know whether it's going to be one year, five years, or 25 years, but as far as I can see, the writing is on the wall. Agreed. And I guess now uh, we could get into the pyramid and, the, and how it's, all that stuff and the pyramid of the apocalypse and the witness and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Great Pyramid of Giza forms a very uh, central theme to my study. As you know, and as many of your listeners will know, there's been dozens of books written on all these ancient monuments. Uh, for instance, the Great Pyramid, Stonehenge in England, Machu Picchu in Peru, the Nazca Lines, the pyramids in Guatemala, incredible pyramids of Mexico. We've Newgrange here in Ireland. In fact, we've over 1,400 uh, what they call passage tombs here in, in Ireland and souterrains and dolmens and all sorts of Neolithic buildings. Then we have those giant heads out in Easter Island. You know those giant heads, Chris? Do you see pictures of them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to think that there was 15 or 20 of those, but I saw a program recently about it. Uh, the latest amount of those that they've dug up is over 900 so far, and they're, and they're still digging them up. That's Incredible. Amazing. They don't know how they got there, where they came from. Then we have Angkor Wat out in Cambodia and various other anomalies around the world that there's absolutely no accounting for because architects and engineers today freely admit that we couldn't build, for instance, the Great Pyramid of Giza. We just couldn't do it. With all the technology we have, all the machines we have, all the money and finance we have, we couldn't build it today. Uh, let me give your listeners a few facts and figures about the Great Pyramid of Giza. Um, first of all, originally when it was finished... Uh, originally built about five and a half thousand years ago it was finished in a polished white limestone you couldn't get a blade of a knife in between this these blocks that it was finished in so it would have been impossible to surmount or to climb way way back some five and a half thousand years ago many legends say that its pyramidion was made out of gold each side of the great pyramid is an equilateral triangle which points exactly to the true north south east and west 
On the south face and on the north face of the Great Pyramid are four star shafts which point at four distinct star, star signs, Draco, Sirius, Orion and Beta Orsa Minor. And I've uh, associated three out of the four of those with gods, which are mentioned either in Greek or Roman or Egyptian mythology and in scripture. Um, the length of the base of each base of the Great Pyramid of Giza in cubits is 365.2422 cubits, which is the exact length of a solar year, including the extra fraction for the leap year. The angle of the Great Pyramid rises at 10 to 9. That is, for every 10 feet you go up the side of the Great Pyramid, you rise in altitude by 9 feet. And if you take the height of the Great Pyramid and multiply it by 10 to the power of 9, you get 91,840,000, which just happens to be the exact distance from the Earth to the Sun in miles. Um, the Great Pyramid is situated almost in the dead center of the world. It's halfway between the northern tip of Norway, the southern cape of South Africa, the west coast of Mexico, and the east coast of China, and it intersects the 30th parallel, both longitude and latitude. There's enough stone in the Great Pyramid to build a wall from New York to Los Angeles. Um, if it were a skyscraper, it would be 42 stories high, which meant it was the tallest building in the world for thousands and thousands of years, in fact, just till the last century, uh, when you guys started building skyscrapers over there. Um, now listen to this. this the, the solution to the mathematical problem of how to square the circle is incorporated in the geometry of the Great Pyramid of Giza. Right? Mm -hmm. And yet... The Great Pyramid was built before the wheel was invented. That's why when you see documentaries about the Great Pyramid, you see all these thousands of slaves dragging these big blocks all over the place. And they come up with all these stupid theories as to how they built them without having uh, discovered the wheel. Now, you know, the, the mathematical solution to how the square the circle is incorporated within the geometry, it lines up with stars, it's in the dead center of the world, it's got all these astronomical and engineering, you know, miracles and feats involved that are we couldn't replicate today and yet these guys hadn't figured out how to invent the wheel hello that's right. a bit like saying if you give a screwdriver to a chimpanzee he's going to make a tv set for you so there's something else going on that is the point now interestingly enough there is a very profound and enigmatic um prophecy in the book of isaiah chapter 19 verse 19 and 20 for any of your listeners who are uh, students of scripture and in Isaiah 19, 19, it says, In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the mists, midst, or middle of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. So it says, in that day. And once it uses that expression, in that day, it's always talking about the last days, the end days, the, the day of tribulation, the day of judgment, the Lord's day, the day of the Lord, the day of Jacob's trouble. That's what it's talking about. And it says, In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst or the middle of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. So how can something be in the middle of a country and be in, at, on its border at the same time? Well, to understand that, you've got to understand a little bit about the uh, geography, ancient geography of Egypt. And at one time, Egypt was split into two. There was Upper Egypt and there was uh, Lower Egypt. And this was divided by a line or a border which ran across the delta of the Nile where it splits up and goes into the Mediterranean. So the only altar and pillar that's on this border and in the middle of this border and in the middle of Egypt is the Great Pyramid of Giza. So it's on the border and it's in the middle at the same time and we identify it as the Great Pyramid of Giza. 
And it says, This altar or pillar shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the, in the land of Egypt. So what is the great pyramid a sign of and what is it a witness to? You know, if I see a sign saying, you know, Tennessee, 100 miles, you know, and it's pointing in that direction, then I go that direction for 100 miles, I get to Tennessee. Or if I'm a witness to somebody or somebody is a witness to something, it's pointing out, it's able to bear witness to something. So in order to get to the answer to this, we jump up to John chapter 9, where Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. So if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. So Jesus said, In his Father's house there's many mansions. And he was going to this house of many mansions to prepare a place. So he's up there now, Chris. He has his sleeves rolled up. He's mixing cement and he's preparing a place for us. And it says, Furthermore, I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. So he said he's coming back from this place and he's going to bring us to this place. Later on then in Corinthians chapter 5, I think it is, uh, Paul speaks about a house in heaven. And it says we have an eternal house in heaven whose architect is God and it was not made by human hands. Later on again then in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it talks about Abraham. And it says, Abraham looked for a city in heaven whose builder and maker is God. So he talked about this literal city in a literal place called heaven whose builder and maker was God. And again in Hebrews 12, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. So the city of the living God, in this place called heaven, a literal place called the heavenly Jerusalem, and it's also called Mount Zion. And when you think Mount Zion, think Mount Olympus, Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount St. Helens. It looks like a mountain, in other words, not a cube. Then we get to the uh, end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, where it talks about a future heaven and a future earth. And it describes this city, this new Jerusalem, the city of the living God, Mount Zion, three different names on it in one verse there. It describes this future city coming down out of heaven from God and descending onto this new earth. And it describes this city in great detail. You can read, read about it in chapter 21 of the Apocalypse. We're told all the different stones it's made out of. And these are literal, physical, quote, end of quote, stones. We're told it's got 12 gates, three on each side, made out of a, a single pearl each. That's going to be some huge gate. We're told that the uh, thickness of the walls we're told that the river of life flows out from the midst of it, the water of life. We're told that the tree of life is there for the healing of the nations. We're told that the streets are made out of pure gold, almost like transparent gold. We're told that there's no need for light there because God and the Lamb provide, provide us with the light. And at the end of this long detailed description, we're given the dimensions of this future city. And we're told its length and its breadth and its height is the same. That is a pyramid in shape. Right? That's why I call it the Pyramid of the Apocalypse. And by the way, the length of each one of these sides is about 1,500 miles. So it's a 1,500 mile pyramid, high pyramid. So there's a direct connection between the Great Pyramid of Giza and this future Pyramid City. And when it talks about the altar and the pillar in the middle of the land of Egypt and at the border of, of thereof, and it shall be a sign and a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, I believe that the Great Pyramid of Giza is an earthly representation of this heavenly Jerusalem. I believe, though, that it was built by the Nephilim, by these fallen angels. And when Lucifer and his mates, his comrades, fell to earth, 
some five and a half thousand years BC, or maybe before that, in the dim, distant, primeval past. They built this great, incredible pyramid with its gleaming white polished limestone. It would have been white, smooth, iridescent, gleaming in the morning sunlight with a gold pyramidion, with all the incredible mats that, that is entailed in it with the astronomical alignments in the dead centre of the earth, etc., 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 that they built this great pyramid as a, a, an earthly representation of the celestial city that they had come from. I believe that it's a mirror image of this, you know, heavenly Jerusalem, Mount, Mount Zion, the city of the living God. But I believe, because as I said to you earlier, that the Satan always copies or imitates or duplicates what the tr- true God does. But when they fell to earth and built this incredible gleaming white pyramid, that they, they did it as a monument to their own pride, their own hubris, their own ego. But now God is using this as a sign and a witness unto the great pyramid or unto the, 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 the new Jerusalem, which is what I call the pyramid of the apocalypse, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is to come in the future. There is a connection between the two. If you like, the great pyramid of Giza is pointing into the, into the future at this future pyramid city it's pointing forward and this future pyramid city the new jerusalem is pointing back at the great pyramid connection uh, in in giza there's a direct connection between the two and as i say my book the nephilim and the pyramid of the apocalypse is the first book ever to come up with this and to point this out so that's connection between the two and just to finish off when we spoke earlier about the vision that this guy this um, Australian guy had and these other two people that I read had visions about pyramids coming down out of the sky in the future and the Nephilim coming out of them. As I said the devil knows scriptures better than you and I do Chris. That's why he was able to quote scripture to uh, to, to Jesus when he told him to throw himself off the, the highest temple and it said for it is written his angels will bear thee up lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. He quoted the Psalms to Jesus verbatim. He knows about this prophecy in Revelation uh, chapter 21. He knows about the prophecy in Isaiah 19.19. So they, they might come down. Remember, the people that vast majority of people that they are going to be dealing with when they show up here haven't a clue about any of these things. So these gods show up. They throw out these verses from Isaiah 19.19 about the altar and the pillar in the middle of Egypt and about the city coming down out of the sky. And they're going to use that and say, hey, I am the Messiah. I am Christ. Right. I agree. I agree that uh, the devil does have plans for for that, and it may have alternate uses and whatnot. But I think that he has a plan for it here in these last days, and that may have been the reason he built it in the first place. But um, your idea of the pyramid being uh, modeled from one in the city of heaven is intriguing because it would uh, it would seem that the Ark of the Covenant was also modeled from an original in heaven as well, according to Exodus twenty five verse nine and Exodus twenty five forty. And uh, when the temple of God in heaven is opened in Revelations 11:19, we see an ark there as well. Uh, but it adds to the mystery of the pyramid because of the stone sarcophagus, which is kind of an enigma in itself in, inside the Great Pyramid, as you probably know, has the exact volume to hold the Ark of the Covenant. And it, it's a, and that very well may be a coincidence, but I also think that there's something to it there. Uh, I'd like to get your opinion on that. And I know that... Uh, I admit, until like last night, I was I was not convinced really one way or another of of 
uh, if that the pyramid was simply a, a cheap imitation of, of by Satan of one in heaven. Uh, I, I know that many Christian scholars believe, as you and I do, that the pyramid is being referenced in Isaiah as a witness to the Lord. Uh, but I was still kind of holding on to the idea that it could have been commissioned or built as a witness by God, especially considering the ark connect- connections. But you lay you lay out a great case for why you think it has the devil's fingerprints on it through the Nephilim. And uh, if you could describe some of that and, and the connotations of the pyramid, that's kind of a loaded question, I know. Yeah, I know. Um, people have said that to me, and I mean, there's been books written on the Great Pyramid saying that it has all this prophetic information that lines up with the Bible. But and I've read that stuff, Chris. But it all seems very contrived to me. You know, they, like for instance, they'll say that uh, there's this chamber down under the pyramid, and that represents hell, and this other one represents. But it's all just as far as I can see, people making it up. There's there's no basis for that. And, and everything I see with Egypt and with the pyramids in Egypt has a very evil connotation. The gods are involved there. And there, if you look at a lot of the crop circles, I, I have a, I did a talk, a presentation down in Laughlin, Nevada last month, and I called it The Return of the Nephilim, where I talked about this stuff too. And I ran this um, video, which I got somebody sent to me. It's on YouTube. You might have seen it. It's sort of promoting a book called Devils and Demons, and it's it's very well put together. But it, it 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 has about eight pictures of crop circles, and I'm not an, I'm not uh, particularly interested in UFOs or crop circles or any of that stuff. That this stuff seems to be dropping on my um, on my desk the last six or twelve months for some peculiar reason. But in a lot of these crop circles, and, and you know, there must be something in the crop circles because when you look at them and the way they're constructed and that, they're incredible. I don't think it's a bunch of hippies getting stone out of their heads and hash and marijuana and points of Guinness that are wandering into these places at night with, you know, pieces of stick and ropes that could construct these things. You know, they're, they're too intricate, they're too good. But in many of them, if you don't have it, I'll send it to you, by the way, and I'll do it later on after we're off the air. But in many of these crop circles, the pyramid shows up in them. And also, I was speaking to a guy, I was on a, on a, a show the other night with a guy who's quite deeply involved with uh, UFO stuff. And I was had breakfast, or lunch rather, a couple of months ago with some UFO guys from here in Ireland. And they are telling me that a lot of the UFOs that are showing up now are triangular or pyramidal, pyramidic or pyramidal or pyramids rather, in shape. Don't know if you're aware of that. Right. So... I, I think that a lot of this UFO t- activity that's going on at the moment, for instance, that UFO over O'Hare Airport a couple of months ago that was seen by loads of people, inc- including uh, pilots, lots of other places, almost every week it's popping up. I think that these guys are preparing the world for what's coming down the tracks. Right. I mean, they can't just show up here and frighten, frighten the life out of everybody by just showing up, but by all these alien abductions by people say they're seeing these lights in the sky people seeing ufos seeing pyramids crop circles not just that but all the programs that we have on the tv these days chris with dark angel buffy the vampire slayer you know stargate that's the pyramids right there you know there's a there's a plethora of this stuff being uh, assuaging us you know these last two decades of this stuff i think it's preparing the people for what's coming down the track, and I think that's what all this UFO stuff is about. Agreed. And I mean, if 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 the the Great Pyramids in Egypt were of a godly design, then who built the three incredible pyramids in Mexico, and the, and other pyramids in Guatemala? And a couple of months ago, I got I got an email from somebody showing similar pyramids in China. I didn't even know that pyramids uh, existed in China. There's a bunch of them over there. 
right. And popping up all over the place. One of the I mean? good uh, the reasons you put in your book was that it, it was actually kind of a pale pales in comparison, apparently, to the one in in heaven, which was you know all these wonderful stones and and everything. It would actually pale in comparison, even if it was covered in golden limestone. And I also liked how you said that the star shafts were were kind of a signature pointing to Draco and Ursa Minor and stuff like that. Absolutely, but, yeah, I'd actually forgotten that point. I mean, the the, the main one points to Draco or Draco, uh, uh, and Dra- Draco is the chart for the dragon. The dragon, who's the serpent, who's the devil, and Satan. And, uh, and then, God, sorry, sorry, I'm trying to. We got about ten minutes left. I wanted to try to get this uh, through here. Some of these questions, so we can get uh, to, so we can talk about your book here and DVD here in just a second. Uh, I just want to get your opinion on, like Michael Tessarian. He's got a lot of. Uh, uh, I know he's a fellow Irishman, and he's got a lot of quote, you know, disciples over here. Uh, even though he seems to be basing his main thesis on these uh, known disinformation, thanks to like Michael Heiser and other people that have shown how and where Sitchin has, you know, been wrong about you know turning these Nephilim into because they want them to be, you know, UFOs. And uh, do you have any thoughts on him specifically as as a? Country? Well, I watched uh, I watched um, some of uh, one of the you showed me was it you or somebody else sent me a link to Michael Cesarian. I don't know whether it was you or not, or somebody else. And I watched about uh, an hour of, of his his, um, his his presentation. It was quite a long presentation. An interesting character, but he seems to me to be digging around the edges. And I also gleaned from his website and stuff that he apparently is into divination. Oh yeah. And tarot cards and stuff like that. Yeah, he's very. Well, he, now, he's using a lot of truth and then mixing it up with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of that stuff. And it's it's real dangerous because, it, like I said, he has formed a lot of uh, f- uh, followers, and it's based on you know just uh, completely known disinformation, as I said. But well, I mean, half truths or dis- disinformation is probably much more dangerous than out and out lies, you know. So I don't know enough about the guy to be honest with you. Okay. It's only when I contact people like you. I mean, I never even heard of uh, Zechariah St- St- Sitchin until after I'd read my book. Oh, I'd really? never heard of Michael Cesarian. I'd never heard of a lot of these people. People. One of those um, links you sent me the other day, I, I watched about half of it too, and it was quite interesting too. Um, about that lady and Mark Phillips, is that his name? Right, right, Kathy O'Brien. And I, I mean, I was watching 40 minutes, and he still hadn't made any concrete points after 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying, hey, when are you going to get into the meat of this? Right, story? yeah, no. And I don't know. As far as I can see, what I do, Chris, is I'm a purely biblical type of guy. I've been a student, stroke scholar of the Bible for over 30 years now. In fact, I didn't know anything about the Apocalypse or the Book of Revelation until about 10, 11 years ago. Up to that, I, I was sort of taught that the book of Revelation wasn't addressed to me and it was to the future and all that and you know to ignore it and that's total rubbish because most of of the church most of Christianity knows very very little about the prophecies of, of the Revelation and they're the prophecies of Jesus Christ direct to us it says in fact verse 1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass and he sent and signified it by it by his angel unto his servant John. So there's five different personages there in that thing. It says God gave it to Jesus, Jesus gave it to the angel, the angel gave gave it to John to show to his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And that was written 2,000 years ago. So they're very important. But the point I'm making is, is I, I, I keep my head, I try and keep my head in Genesis to Revelation. And then when other stuff comes along, I line it up with what I know the truth says. And then if it fits, it fits. Right. I'm beginning to think more and more. I mean, a lot of my... I've had a lot of my articles published on UFO websites recently, and I've been invited to two, a, a big UFO conference in Nevada, and I was really well received by those people down there, 
they were hungry, they're looking for answers. And I think a lot of, as I said on the thing, the Bible is probably the biggest UFO handbook in the world. Uh, I've had a, a big article um, just just published in, in Weird Magazine, which comes out in, in Texas, which I got a copy of it. It's a bit like Mad Magazine. But they're willing to give me a forum to speak about what I'm saying. And there is a definite UFO connection. Right. I don't think these, these are just invisible spirits. I think these guys are going to manifest themselves. I think we're going to see more and more of this UF stuff. But I don't know enough about Michael Cesari right. and all these guys. I do think it's to important, though, to, to, to know as much as you can about it because the deception coming is going to be so great. It's going to be important to, to lead to lead people in the right way because you have to know where you know uh, your way around the disinformation. I want to ask you these questions before we have to end here. Uh, first, um, do you what do you think of the people in the field? Uh, do you anybody to add to the list of Missler, Heisler, Heiser, Flynn, or anything like that? If you wanted to comment on them, also has anybody like Zahi Hawass or anybody from the uh, Council of Antiquities or anything been mad at you for presenting a view that is obviously not National Egyptians building the pyramids, anything bad like that? And uh, then I guess you might want to tell people how they can avoid all this uh, this nastiness, and then uh, talk about your book DVD. And I think that'll probably be about all the time we got. Well. Uh Chris, uh, that that guy, the, what's his name, Zaili Hawassi or something like that. Uh, right. That <laughs> he, he never was. even heard of me. Mo- most people never heard even heard of me. Mike Heiser, David Flynn. I met those guys down at the Ancient of Days conference year before last. Really nice guys. Uh, the, the the great book. I, the book I read after I'd written my book was written by. Uh, it's called The Omega Conspiracy by Dr. I D E Thomas. I couldn't believe when I read his book that he'd already written. A lot of the stuff that I had already written, but he was coming from an, a UFO angle, and he wrote that in the mid eighties. That that his book is going to be republished again soon. But he's a fantastic scholar. Um, a lot of the other guys, as I said, Sitchin, I never even heard of him before I wrote my book because I'm a biblical guy. Uh, so th- these guys never even heard of me. Please God, my book w- will hopefully break into the mainstream soon and will become more knowledgeable. But, of course, they're, they're going to rubbish me. They're not going to agree to this stuff because they're body and soul people. They don't have the spirit of God. And all my books uh, are written with the view, and you've read my book, The Nephilim, so I've written that for non-Christians as well as Christians. And it's designed, I'm using the interest in the pyramids, Machu Picchu, all these ancient uh, the Nephilim and fallen angels and stuff to draw people in, Chris. Then once I get them into the first half of the book, then in the second half I get into the apocalypse. Then once I frighten the living daylights, daylights out of them, then I introduce them to John 3:16, Romans 10:9, 17, 10:9 uh, and 10, with the opportunity to, to uh, see who Jesus Christ is and what he's about and possibly salvation. That's what it's designed to do. It's not just designed for Christians to tickle their ears. I want people to give it away and win people for the Lord and get it out there in the mainstream. So my new publisher uh, has my book, and you can get it in Barnes & Noble and Barters, or it's only $10.40 on Amazon if you want to go onto Amazon. And it's called The Nephilim, N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M, The Nephilim and the Pyramid of the Apocalypse. Also, my first book is called Apocalypse Soon. And that's just been published in the United States. It's uh, republished and updated and brought up to date. It's called Apocalypse Soon. And you can get that on Amazon, too. It's only $9 or $10 on Amazon. Or you can get it direct. It's even cheaper again. I think it's only $9 on survivalmall.com. That's survivalmall.com. And it's uh, Tom Horn of Raiders News Update. He has published, republished that for me. If pe- people would prefer to watch a DVD... Uh, then you can get my DVD. It's called Apocalypse uh, and the End Times. How close are we? 
and that was made by Grizzly Adams. Uh, and it's very high tech. It's cutting edge. It's got great graphics and stuff in it. It's got it's 60 minutes long, and it's as I say a DVD. Then it's got a, a an extra 60 minutes, a bonus section. And I'm uh, get a whole half an hour or 30 minutes in the bonus section talking about the fallen angels, the great pyramid, the apocalypse, and all that stuff. So that's for people who'd rather watch. And you can get apocalypse and and the end times, the DVD in Walmart and Barnes and Noble and Borders or other place, or you can go to Grizzly Adams' website and get it there. Yeah. I think we've used every available second here, and so uh, I'm glad I'm glad to have talked with you. I think uh, I think we uh, a lot of people may have learned a lot of stuff with it, so uh, I think it will be a success. I, I'd like to thank you again for for joining us, and uh, and hopefully we can have you on back soon when you got some more developments or anything like that. Thank you very much for Chris uh, Chris for having me, and uh, God bless all from the Emerald Isle. And the rest of this interview was taken after the Revere Radio interview stopped and I kept recording. And it's got some really good information, so I'll play that for all the iTunes listeners and the people that catch the show off the nowhere to run Podomatic site. And uh, again, you can email me at chris at conspiracyclothes.com. That's chris at conspiracyclothes.com. And, uh, and contact me there. All right, here's the rest of the interview with Patrick Heron. Uh, one thing you're very welcome. And one thing I, I was going to say about the uh, what what I think would be interesting, and uh, the one I really wanted you to watch was uh, the Arizona Wilder one. Uh, yeah, I, I just haven't got it. I'm going to watch the definitely watch it. But you sent me enough st- stuff to keep me busy. I, for I, I know the reason I sent that was just to kind of understand how the mind control is going on. I'm sure you've probably heard of MK Ultra and thir- things like that. And that's no, the reason. Haven't, haven't actually. A lot of this stuff is brand new to me. Believe it or not. Chris. Well, well, it plays a significant role in this uh, because I think. I think the Arizona Wilder is a smoking gun that these people did not want to happen, but but they they kind of covered it up in the sense that she uh, she is mind controlled. She, she's kind of spitting a, a a backstory that was given to her during her programming. So you have to really read between the lines with her. There's going to be a lot of occult stuff, but in the, in the in the crux of it is that she was being used at these rituals that these elite people uh, go to these blood rituals that they are calling out these ancient demons from this abyss that come around and give information to the uh to the leaders of the state they're kind of hybrid uh can shapeshift as it were so it's a i'm sure you've probably heard about all that stuff but but right but 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 it's interesting to look at it from this perspective and i think that it 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 helps you get a really interesting insight in this It, it could be go either way but i think that it's part of this somehow and i just wanted you to look at it and I will look at it. I'm looking forward to it. And you know, I, I was on a radio show a few a few months ago with a fellow called Rick Wiles. Don't know if you heard of him. Uh, but we were we were talking on the show. I, I can't remember we talked on air or off air. But he told me he has a friend. And now this friend is she, she's a woman, and she's married to some guy who's very very wealthy and very influential businessman. So he wouldn't tell me who who she was or who he he was. I actually have an inkling who I think it might be, but it mightn't be her anyway. If, a fam- famous former actress who became a Christian. It might be her. But this woman rang him up a, about a year or two years ago after she'd become a Christian. And she said, Rick, I'm going to tell you something and you won't believe it. Uh, and he said, well, you know, tell me and you know, we'll see what it says. But she said that her husband had woken up that morning and had told her that he had this dream. Now, her husband is a total unbeliever. He's not a Christian or anything else. And, and, and the dream he had was is that he was in the Oval Office and he was looking at President Bush, um, who was sitting at, the, at his desk, and he was surrounded by about eight guys. 
advisors in suits. And he said two of these guys kept changing from, from, uh, from men to reptiles and back to men again. This is the dream that this guy yeah. had. He woke up, didn't know what it meant, told his wife, who was a Christian, and she rang up uh, Rick Wiles and told Rick Wiles, and he told me. Now, I don't, again, I'm a lot of the stuff you're talking about, Chris, I haven't a clue about. I barely heard about shapeshifters. I, I, I know who David Icke is. I don't really know what his books are, what he talks about. I don't know about reptilians. I don't know how relevant all that stuff is. Mm. But I, I have been to Egypt, and when you look at the pictures on the walls in Egypt, you see people there that are half human, half animal. You, you have Horus, who's a falcon-headed god. You've got Sobek, who's a crocodile-headed god. You have Tatu, who's got a nibus head. You've got, you know, serpents going around with four legs. You've, you, you've um, things that are half lions, half people. So th- I don't know. Right, and I, I but I think I a lot of those people of like Sitchin and, and Ike and Tessarian are definitely false teachers, false prophets that are using everybody's innate understanding of what's going on. People are starting to wake up to the New World Order and, and these bloodlines and all this stuff, but but they're using it and telling people like, hey, here's all this information, this is what's really going on, and they're hooking people with that, and then they're selling them this BS, you know, like any good cult does, proves one thing, like Christmas is a pagan holiday, and then, and then throws all this dogma on top of it that they, you know, usually has to do with, you know, and anti, you know, Jesus type thing. So, it's yeah, what it's, I, I don't know. I don't know whether they're doing it wittingly or unwittingly. And there may be some truth in some of the stuff they're telling you. I mean, maybe there are maybe people that are advisors in there are actual Nephilim or hybrids or whatever they are. Maybe they are. I don't know uh, because I, I've read other emails and heard from other people where these top brass, these top generals, are dealing with these entities. And uh, and they, they they know that they're entities of some form or another. But from what I can see in the Bible, you know, people have entertained angels and they didn't know. You know, be, be what does it say? Be be not slow to entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels thereby. It's like the two guys that went into Sodom and Gomorrah, and what's his name? Lot brought them in. He washed their feet, so these guys had feet. He fed them. They had a big meal. If you go back. A chapter or two chapters before that when the three men, I have it in my book the three men went into Abraham and Sarah and I think it appears to me that this is God and two angels probably Gabriel and Michael what did they do? They had a big big meal so they eat you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So maybe it's the same on the evil side Right, and I think so too. I think that when the Nephilim did get destroyed in the flood, uh, this is kind of a Missler kind of view that they their bodies die, but their steer, spirits being unredeemable, possibly. And he conjectured that those spirits were the demons of the the New Testament because they're apparently desperately seeking embodiment because they can't, you know, the sons of God in Tartarus we got busted, you know, and thrown in jail, but their offspring. Well, I know we we differ on this, so I'm not trying to say that but but in either case whatever you call them uh the offspring that died in the flood the, the disembodied spirits you know whatever when you, i don't know there's a lot to a lot that's to th- what enoch says enoch says that in the book of enoch it says the spirits that are that are inhabiting the world are the disembodied spirits from the giants oh yeah of, of which were the hybrids of these spirits with with uh with humans huh. and that's why they're here and they need bodies to inhabit the 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 giants. I mean, the, the Hebrew word for giant is gibbar, and it means giant. It has nothing to do with Nephilim. I know most people think that the Nephilim are the giants. Now, if you want to call them that, fine. I'm not going to fall out or get into a big right. That's the same thing with me. But the, the, you mean Nephilim literally means the fallen ones. And if you go and read about the fallen, you know, I beheld Satan as lightning falling 
falling to earth, a fallen angel. Now, now just, just for the sake, Michael Heiser does do a presentation, which he, more or less to my uh, knowledge, proves using semantics that Nephilim can't mean the fallen ones by the way it's spelled, and in fact means... I've, I've, I've read that essay, and he gets into the minutiae of Hebrew and stuff, but... I, I take a bigger picture. I, I, you've got to look at the scope of things too, Chris. And if you get in and just read a cursory reading on the book of Revelation, it talks about fallen. Eh? It talks about kings. Five have fallen, one is, and one is to come. It talks about a, a star falls to heaven, falls to earth with the key to the bottomless pit. You know, the, to me, these are the fallen angels. And Nephal means to fall, Nephilim, the fallen ones. If you want to get in and study the minutia of, you know, little, you know, commas and this and that and stuff yeah but I, I just if you look at the bigger picture i believe the nephilim are these are the fallen ones the sons of god are the fallen angels the, in fact i think that the, the giants the offspring of those were probably big clumsy oafs and i think that's why david was able to dance around goliath and sink a stone into his forehead and that's why when the joshua and his men went into the promised man it says they 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 took 60 of the giant cities of Bashan. you know i i don't i don't think the giants are are any big deal. I think they're probably clumsy oafs. The real guys are the, 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 the sons of God, which I believe are the, are the fallen spirit men, because they are fallen angels. You know, that's why they're called fallen angels. Yeah. But I'm not going to argue about it. No, I think we, 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 we see eye to eye on everything, yeah, really. You know I mean, it's just I mean? it's, little it's bits no of semantics deal. and stuff that's yeah, just... It's just semantics. It's, it's just semantic. You can call the Nephilim the giants if you want. Right, right. that's the way I see it. <laughs> um, and I think I think the guys that fell the second time, I think they're at large. And there is another verse in Isaiah where it talks about, in the future, in that day, again, it talks about, I will call my man from the east, the bird. It talks about a bird who, who seems to be a man. This might be Horus. He might be still at large. And he might be the guy they call Quetzalcoatl, or however you pronounce that, or Viracocha in South America, mm-hmm. and Garuda in the far east, the birdman. You know, maybe it's the same guy, and maybe this guy is going to show up Another one could be the Horror of Babylon. I think the Horror of Babylon is a metaphor for maybe two or three things. Maybe America is Babylon, if you know what I mean. But it also speaks about the Horror of Babylon, who fornicates with the kings of this earth. And that may very well be Athena, or Aphrodite, or Venus, or Demeter, or one of those. Because there's a a female entity referred to in Isaiah as the, uh, uh, the Queen of Heaven. And she's... When this woman showed up, this other woman showed up in um, Guadalupe and Lourdes and other places like that. She refers to herself as the Queen of Heaven and the Lady of Nations, who's trying to pass herself off as Mary, the Mother of God. Maybe when the Apocalypse appears, this beautiful woman is going to appear, is going to be called, the Bible maybe called her the Whore of Babylon, and she's going to pass herself off as Mary, the Mother of God, who's referred to many times in the Quran and is very acceptable to the Muslims. You know what I mean? But that's that's another, as we say here in Ireland, Shin Shkei Lala, that's another story.